In this, our third presentation, we'll discuss some investment theories and strategies, and uh, we'll discuss a very important uh, topic called asset allocation. Not in detail, we'll get back to asset allocation later on. We take a look at mutual funds and show a balance fund, a balance of stocks and bonds, but we're still sticking with stocks today. So let's take a look at slide 36. The most popular theory, in my humble opinion, and the one that makes absolute sense to me, and it's the one that I believe in, is called fundamental analysis, fundamental uh, uh, research. Uh, it's a strategy that's based on the assumption that a stock's intrinsic or real value, I mean, what is the stock really worth, is determined by the company's future earnings. Why are businesses in business? To make money. And so the most important thing is the earnings. Fundamentalists, and it has nothing to do with religion, folks, consider the financial strength of the company, the type of industry the company is, their competitors, the, the new product development, the economic growth of the overall economy. Are they growth stock? Are they a defensive stock? Are they a blue chip? All the stuff that we've already discussed, and then a whole lot more. I side with the fundamental analysis. I, that's what I believe in. I believe in good quality research and knowing as much as you can as the company, as uh, much as you can as the company as you can. You know, learn as much as you can about the company. Doesn't that make sense? I think so. It ain't easy, <laughs> as Warren Buffett says. I mean, it, you know, it's relatively straightforward on the surface, but trying to determine what's going to happen in the future is just, it's just not easy. But it doesn't mean people can't do it. Some people are very good at it. Some people are not so good at it. Slide 37. The other type of analysis, the other strategy, is called technical analysis. And I'll tell you right off the bat, I think these people are all wet. Every time I see their presentations, I always think, well, what, you know, what, what do you have to base that on your de base that decision? What research, what numbers can you show? They, they just, it looks like voodoo to me. This is based on the assumption that a stock's value is determined by the forces of supply and demand in the stock market as a whole. Yes, you don't look at the expected earnings or the intrinsic value, which is a fancy way of saying, what is the stock worth? But rather on factors found in the market as a whole. And the uh, there are many different technical analysis strategies, but the most uh, prevalent one are chartists. You look at the charts, you plot the past price movements and other market averages and technical indicators to observe trends that you then use to predict the stock's future value. And as I said, I think these people are all wet, <laughs> but that doesn't mean there's some people who do pretty well doing it. If you're so inclined, you know, you can either run over to the Business 123 class website from spring you know, from whatever, from whatever, whatever the last one is, and um, and just go ahead and uh, go through it, or take business one twenty three next semester. Now, there's a third investment strategy that says both of you guys don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is the efficient market theory. It's sometimes called the random walk theory, and it's based on the assumption that stock price movements are purely random. And they believe some of the most pure, uh, adher purest adherents of this theory that a current, the stock's current market value reflects its true value. 
Well, that's ridiculous because we do know that sometimes stocks get way overvalued and sometimes they get way undervalued. And the Wall Street Journal's darts versus the experts finds that sometimes the experts win, sometimes the darts win. They believe it is impossible for someone to outperform the stock market over the long term. But there are many long-term investors who have beaten the market over decades. So what does the theory say when obviously they say that nobody can do it? The people say they're lucky. They're just lucky. They just happen to be the ones who've lucky, who've been lucky for 70 years or 50 years or 40 years. And that's just that's just ridiculous. I mean, nobody is that lucky for that many years. It, it reminds me of the um, the famous golfer. If you go on the Internet, you'll see that it's it's uh, attributed to many different golfers. But this guy or supposedly a guy had done really, really well. And the sports writers said reporters said, boy, you were really lucky out there today. And the guy supposedly said, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. I was lucky. And the funny thing is, the more I practice, the luckier I get. You know, for short time, <laughs> right, exactly. You know, one day you may be lucky, but if you practice for a lifetime, it's not luck, it's skill. There, This may be true for short-term investors because it is true. In the short term, the market is random. But over the long term, it is not random. As the global economy has expanded and and people's uh, standard of living has risen, the stock market has gone along with it. Now, not in a straight line, as we saw, and we're going to see again, over and over again. But if we take a long-term perspective, we should do well. And there are people who have done better than the market over long term. And they ain't just lucky, folks. So I don't agree with these people. So what are some of the strategies involved? in stocks. One of the most uh, easiest, in my humble opinion, even though it's not that easy, but it's certainly easier than some of the others, uh, and, uh, and has worked pretty well for most people, is buy and hold. You use fundamental analysis to identify high quality companies at reasonable prices, and then you hold them for the long term. Now, one of these, um, one, of the, one of the most um, uh, famous investors is Warren Buffett. We've mentioned him. We'll mention, mention him again. And uh, he's a fundamental analysis, analyst. He looks at the fundamentals of the company. And one time he was asked, well, Mr. Buffett, how long do you want to hold a company for? You hold it forever. Now, he's being a little facetious. He's you know, joking a little bit because you don't live forever, obviously. But, um, but the idea is you're buying a business. And if you had a, a pizza shop or a shoe shop or some you know, business that was in the family, wouldn't you want to keep it forever? You know, you'd want to hang it on to it. Maybe the kids are, but then who knows, you know, maybe you're want to retire and you just want to sell the business and the, the kid, and the kid, you don't have kids or the kids aren't interested in it. So then you would sell it. So, so you don't hold it forever. You're going to eventually sell it someday. But, uh, but the idea is you own this business. The business is still doing well. Hang on to it. The buy and hold strategy works well with dollar cost averaging. Remember this? We'll come back to it again. <laughs> Putting 50 bucks, 100 bucks away into a, an investment every month through your paycheck, through your, uh, your checking account. And those dividend reinvestment plans that we talked about that are low cost investment plans that bypass your brokers. But now your brokers offer these. The brokers will offer these. And again, they are low cost 
And, and what happens? You have companies that pay dividends. You, instead of getting the dividends in cash, you buy, or the company does it for you, you buy more shares of the of the company. And it's very, very cool. I'm a buy and hold kind of guy. It's worked for me so far, and it's worked for a lot of people. Other strategies <laughs> are momentum trading. Buy high, sell higher. Well, this is dumb, folks. Why? Because it uses what is called the greater fool theory. Somewhere out there, there's a greater fool than I am who will buy this overpriced stock or house or whatever, uh, whatever investment you're talking about, and uh, at a higher price than I will. And so it's it's fraught with danger. Some people love it. You know, they love to ride the momentum. And then when the momentum turns, oh, they sell right away. Well, good luck. Another one is called sector analysis. And so you move your money into certain sectors of the economy. Okay, now this technology sector has done well for 10 years. Well, who knows if that's what's going to do that well in the next 10 years. I don't know. And you sell stocks and stale ones. But this is tough because, again, you have to predict, predict the short term. Um, when is technology going to become the stale sector? You know, Now would be the time, in my humble opinion, to look at the energy companies. Because energy has just fallen so far. So that's a that's a uh, important one I would uh, remember. Sector analysis is do the opposite. <laughs> maybe not. It depends. Maybe there's a reason why energy has gone so far low. And so maybe you don't want to buy those companies. But look at the companies themselves, not the sectors. And then market timing. Folks, don't don't believe anybody can do this. There's if somebody tells you they know how to time the market. Tell them, yeah, 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 sure. Uh, a very famous investor in the mid-20th century, Bernard Baruch, said, don't try to time the market. It can only do be done by liars. In other words, it's the same fisherman who said, that fish that got away was so big. Yeah, right. And now this one is, is actually, the last one on this slide, 40, is actually a, not a bad strategy, but it isn't easy. It's a contrarian strategy. You buy when others are selling and you sell when others are buying. Okay, so what's the problem with this? The problem is the market goes up about three times more often than it goes down. So if you're always selling your stocks when, the, when, when people are buying, you'll very quickly run out of stocks, right? So you have to be willing to be patient and wait until those extreme swings happen. When valuations just get way overblown and there's a mania going on, a bubble, and you have to wait when there you have to wait when there's a until there's a crash and people are so pessimistic that they believe the world is going to end, and that's when you buy. And that's Warren Buffett. He's a contrarian. He waited until 2008 when stocks had just fallen what, 50, 60, 50, I forget exactly the amount, 57 percent, I think it was from peak to trough, from the top to the bottom. And he went, He swooped in and he bought $5 billion worth of, Ge of General Electric. He bought $5 billion worth of Goldman Sachs. He bought $10 billion worth of Bank of America. And all three of those trades, I'll tell you, stupid folks, all three of those investments worked out very, very well for him because he bought when prices were very low. And then he um, eventually um, Goldman Sachs bought back the shares that he had he had bought from them because 
it's a long story. We can get into it in Business 123. But he extracted a whole lot of blood from that company. And they're the, they're the sharks, folks. Goldman Sachs, they're the sharks. And he's, 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 he's the shark killer. Yeah. Okay, so those, those, those first three, forget about the last one. It's kind of hard to do. It's kind of hard to do. But it's very smart. Okay, slide uh, 41. When do you sell? Often people will tell you, wow, it's easy to buy. I just don't know when to sell. Well, there are some ideas that, that some people use. Their, their analysts will also often set a target price, or you might use some kind of software program that tells you, you know, we think this is the high price and you should sell when it hits that price. But again, you have to decide what, the, uh, the, the, what numeric measure you're going to use or what you believe in. Stock, sell when the stock is overvalued. Same idea. How do you know that stock is overvalued? You have to do your arithmetic and your, your research and you say, okay, yeah, I think it's I think it's time to sell this stock. And I like this one. Peter Lynch in his book, One Up on Wall Street, said, you sell when the story changes. If the reason or reasons you bought the stock change, well, then it may be time to sell. And what Peter Lynch would do in his book, One Up on Wall Street, he talks about what he would do. This was before the internet, folks. <laughs> he would gather together all his research into a single uh, three-ring binder for each company that he uh, researched. And he would do all his calculations and cut out newspaper clippings and all kinds of stuff like that. And, of course, they have uh, there's other research um, uh, papers and, and newsletters and uh, reports that come out periodically. And then after he had done all that, he'd pick up the three-ring binder in his hand and give himself the 60-second, 90-second story. This is Nike. I'm going to buy Nike because of all these different reasons. I may sell it if this happens. You see? So he would talk himself through the reason he was buying the company. And then, you know, later on, when he'd come back to the company and see how they're doing, he would hold it up again and say, okay, the story has changed a little bit here, and so I don't know if I want to hang on to Nike. So he'd, he'd go, th before he made his decision, he would just run through in his own mind a story about why he wants to buy, sell, or maybe hold, just hang on to it. Uh, when you have a better investment offer, it might be time to sell and swap investments. But you have to be careful, right? Be <laughs> yeah, exactly, because you, you incur taxes, and commissions, so you know you don't do that just just for the sake of doing it. And then the last one is the one I think is the most makes the most sense. I need the money. <laughs> it's time, to, you know. I've I've been accumulating all this now, and now I want to buy a car or buy a you know put the money into down payment for a house, or maybe it's time to retire, and we'll start drawing down our investments, and we'll discuss that later on in chapter fourteen, the dis distribution phase, as it's called. Cool? Okay. Slide 42. Now, asset allocation is a very important topic, and there's a lot of ink spilled about it. But it's just a fancy term for how much should I own stocks? How much of my investments should be in bonds? Should I invest in real estate? Should I buy precious metals? It's just how you spread your money around. And we're just talking about stocks and bonds in this case. Many advisors for many years suggested a formula like this. You would take your age and subtract it from $100. 100, just not $100, just 100. So that's how much you should have in stocks. And the rest should be in bonds and maybe some cash. So 
let's say you're 40 years old. You take 100 minus 40, you'd put 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds. Some other people say it like this. Your age should be what's in bonds. So say you're 40 years old, you should have 40% in bonds and the rest in stocks. So either way. But now what you're doing is saying, no, 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 we should use 110 or 120. And why are they doing that? Why are they raising the, 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 the number? Because people are living far more longer. It used to be that people retired at 62 and died at 64. <laughs> they didn't live that long. But now people are retiring at 62 and dying at 92. So you, you need to have more stocks even in retirement. And we'll discuss this later on because we're living longer. For people in their 20s and 30s, I don't think they should, they should have any bonds, personally. But that's me, right? I know about this. And uh, if anybody were to come to me, I would explain why I, I recommend to them to don't even worry about bonds until you get into your 50s, 40s, 50s or so. Then you start you know, sliding down the risk versus reward curve. So uh, I should have, a, at my age, I should have a whole lot more bonds. My wife and I should have a whole lot more bonds than I, we do, but... I have, we have some, and we've been moving against my better judgment. We've been, I guess it's against my better, better judgment, my worst judgment. We've been, I've been grudgingly moving stuff from stocks into bonds. But um, I'm, I, I hope I have a lot of many more years left. I'm 63, 64, you know, you know. Anyway, slide number 43, uh, rebalancing. Some of these same advisors that suggest asset allocation also suggest the technique of called rebalancing. Now, this makes a lot of sense. If you think you should have a 60-40 split, 60% uh, stocks, 40% bonds, and stocks have had a banner year, stocks have gone really, really well, you might now have 70% stocks, 30% bonds. So you sell some stocks and buy some more bonds. Likewise, if stocks have had a correction or a bear market of tanked, then you sell some bonds and buy you some more stocks. Likewise, you know, back and forth. And so you do it every six months, every year or so. This forces you do, to do the right thing. When stocks are going up, do people want to sell? No. Hey, this looks great. Look how much money I made yesterday. But this forces you now, come on, it's time to take, as we say in the industry, some money off the table, as if you were gambling. I don't like that phrase, but that's what we use. It's time to sell some stocks, buy, sell high, and buy some bonds, buy low. Make sense? Now, if you were, we're going to discuss balanced mutual funds, these people can do it for you. And we'll see why a balanced fund for many people is a great, great choice because it lets them eat reasonably well and lets them sleep reasonably well. Slide 44. And as we said, retirement is very different than it was many years ago. Many advisors suggest that retirees shed the bulk of their stock investments in favor of bonds and cash investments. But the problem is people are living longer. Now, I saw this statistic. I don't know if I believe it because 100 still is a you know, pretty ripe old age, but a 50-year-old living today, given what we know about technology and medical advances, and, you know, don't smoke, reduce or stop eating meat and dairy uh, as much as you were, um, eat more plant-based diet, you have a pretty darn, eat exercise, you have a pretty good darn 50-50 chance of living to 100. I think that's pretty cool. I'd like to live to 100. That'd be cool. 
We will revisit this when we get the mutual funds. Inflation does not retire just because you retired. As you near retirement, start migrating your investments from stocks to bonds, but don't give up on stocks entirely. In my humble opinion, other people will tell you differently. So that's why there's vanilla and chocolate and some people like strawberry. Okay, slide number 45. <sighs> okay, if you get involved in the world of investing, there's going to be people jumping up and down, screaming and hollering, telling how 10%, oh my goodness, you can get 100% in one day. Just take our surefire five-day options trading uh, uh, class for only $4,995. And uh, when that doesn't work, we'll give you the two-week all-expense-paid uh, uh, vacation uh, learning experience in Hawaii. It's only $25,000. Now, don't worry about burning your credit card or mortgaging your house because you're going to make that $25,000 back within months, folks, within months, and you will be rich behind your, beyond your, what? you think I, if I didn't have any ethics, you think I could make a lot of money? Yeah, in other words, folks, folks, these things are dangerous. Stay away from them. Over the years, the financial world has come up with other strategies, <laughs> I put that in quotes, to help you exploit the wonderful world of finance. They are also excellent sources of high commissions for stockbrokers. Surprise. You may have heard of options and futures, margin accounts, selling short. Stay away. You are virtually guaranteed to lose. Now, you may make 100% one day and then lose 100% the next day. Now, you say, okay, well, I'm back with where I started. No, it doesn't work that way. Say you have $100. You get 100%, you have $200. In one day, whoopee, the next day you lose 100%, you have $0. That's, <laughs> right, that's what options can do for you. And there used to be, they've been bought, Optionetics, but they were the they were just the most egregious. But they're not, there's a lot out there, folks. And, and on the website and in Canvas, you should see some um, examples of places that want to take your mind, I mean, uh, help you learn how to explore the wonderful world of futures, options, and yeah, 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 stay away. Slide 46. Now, where do we get our information? Well, folks, it's a, there's a, a deluge, a sip from the fire hose from TV, 24 hours a day, radio, newspapers, magazines, and of course, the infernal net. Most of it is extremely sensational and of highly questionable value for investment purposes. Many of these people are, are entertainers. They're not really after, you know... Um, long-term oriented uh, uh prudent investments they want to they want to dazzle you and, and and keep you posted and join maybe join their group for 50 dollars a month or whatever nick murray who you'll never read any books by him but he wrote some really good books and he said i love this say saying wisdom sold separately <laughs> yeah indeed my advice is to turn the damn thing off you know read Certain individuals that that I'm going to give you a, a, a bibliography. I think I give it. The, I give it the business 123. I think I put it in. Yeah, I did. But I, I'll tell you about who to read. Uh, One up on Wall Street. A random walk down Wall Street. Or there's a couple others, but those are the two best to start with. And uh, learn that it's a long term. It's not a short term um, sprint. It's a long term marathon. There are some stock advisory services, reports, newsletters, and the like. By far, in my humble opinion, the best one is the value line. And it ain't cheap. It's 50 bucks a month if you get it, it delivered to your home. I think it's a little cheaper if you have it 
sent to you via PDF files on the internet, but not much. <laughs> um, I think it's about a little over $45 a month if you do that. But, um, but, but you can get it free at the library. And we use it in Business 123 Introduction to Investments. So very cool. And now, one of the best information sources is to join one of the um, investment clubs through the organization called betterinvesting.org. And so I'm dying to get um, uh, somebody from their group to talk to our Business 123 class and our investment group next, certainly next semester uh, in the spring. So, uh, so stay tuned because we want to get that investment club back up and running. And I we used to be a member of an investment club, but it just got I was just I was had too many things going on. But now I'm semi-retired, so I'm going to join at least one, maybe even two. So we'll see what happens. Cool, they're very good. They're mo you actually do investing, folks. I mean, you actually put up some money. You put some money on the table, so to speak, but not a whole lot. Twenty-five bucks, fifty bucks a, a, a month, and. Um, and you and your fellow members learn how to value stocks. Now, they have their own method that I've never used. I've always used my own methods that we teach in Business 123. But they're very similar. They, they do the same things. They see what it's worth, you know, what stock is worth today and what do you think it's going to be worth if, if what you think is going to happen over the next three to five years, that kind of thing. Yeah, so very cool. And then our last slide for today is... Uh, other information sources, which such as <laughs> business. Have I have I mentioned business one twenty three introduction to investments? I I think I have. Hint hint wink wink nudge nudge. So um, in the spring we have a remote um, we have a remote uh, uh, class, which means we will meet. This is spring twenty twenty one. We will meet at eight thirty five to ten o'clock, just as we normally would do face-to-face -face at the main campus but now it's all closed and um but that but it, but it, we meet online so we'll use zoom right we'll use online and uh, but you don't have to come because they'll all be recorded and you can do it asynchronously which is the fancy word for whenever your little heart desires and there'll be another section that i'm teaching that is online but then another one of the professors will be teaching another online section i think but so again you can just Take any one of us and do it and do, you know, go go through Canvas or not go right through the the class website because it's basically the same stuff. Now, here, I, I promised you some books, right? I promised you some books. OK, as I said, the two best books to start are One Up on Wall Street and A Random Walk Down Wall Street. Now, this book was written by Peter Lynch. We already made mention of him. He was one of the best money managers ever to to work. He only worked in the industry for 12 years. Well, no, he worked more than that. But before that, he was not a money manager. He was, he was working for the company, but then they gave him, you know, whatever, $500 million, whatever, to start investing. And between 1977 and 1989, he racked up 29% a year. Wow. <laughs> and then he said, I'm retiring. The stress is too much for me. <laughs> but he wrote this book, and when people... Thought it was when it was coming out, people thought, oh, he's going to talk about how wonderful he is, and that's going to be a lot of fluff, and nothing could be further from the truth. This is one of the best books that goes through and tells you why it's a great idea to invest in stocks and why maybe you shouldn't invest in stocks, and uh, maybe you should just own a mutual fund, but, but you decide after you read the book. And then he gives you some 
some of his tools. But then he, he went and wrote another book, which is basically the same book. But he goes into more detail about how he does his research, Beating the Street. And remember, he did this before the Internet. So it was the information sources were nowhere near as... Um, as prolific as they are now. Another very good book to start with is A Random Walk Down Wall Street by Burton Malkiel. And he was one of the professors who, who designed this third strategy we talked about, the, uh, the random walk theory, as it's sometimes called, or the efficient market theory. And he, um, he is great because he skewers the fundamentalist, he skewers the technical analyst, and he skewers himself and the, <laughs> the efficient market theorists. So he, you know, nobody's, nobody, no sacred cows with him. But he also, again, as Peter Lynch does, describes the, the rationale behind investing and, and how one might go about investing. Now, eventually, you're going to want to read this book right here. This was um, the, 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 the book written by Warren Buffett's teacher, Benjamin Graham. The problem with it is he's very difficult to read. So as I, I think I mentioned before, he, they came out with a new version starting around 2003 or four, and now they updated it again, where they took Mr. Bert, Mr. Um, Graham's prose, didn't change it, but then after every chapter, they have a commentary by Jason Swig, who's a very good writer. Mr. Brent Graham died in 1975. His last edition was 1972. He updated it three times. There's four editions. And then he and another gentleman wrote Security Analysis. Don't read this until, until you've already you know, gone through all the others because that's pretty difficult to penetrate. Uh, but it goes in. And well, the, the important techniques, it goes into the techniques of valuing stock. And the important ones are what we learn in Business 123, especially for retail investors. He goes, in, he goes into a lot of detail for, for wholesale investors. What do I mean? He talks about people who, who work for corporations and work for mutual funds and, and do uh, much more sophisticated uh, uh, um, types of investments that most of us retailers just don't do. And then go to the company. You want to look, look at Coca-Cola? Go to Coca-Cola's website. They'll have a tab there somewhere that says investors or, you know, um, whoever. Whatever. Go to McDonald's and you'll see a, a, um, a link for investors. And I had, <laughs> he passed away, but our dentist, we miss him so much. He, um, he would buy one share of Disney, right? He'd buy one share of Disney. And then he'd call up Disney and say, hey, I'm a shareholder. What perks do you have for me? And they'd send them tickets, you know, not, not like 20% like off tickets or something like that, or it's not like a coupon or something like that. And so this is a big deal for some people. They, they love to get perks for the company. So I, I, I invest in Coca-Cola. What perks do you get from me? And now there's actually a company, an internet company, that will allow you to go online and look for the perks for the kids kind of strange but that's one of the nice things about investing and so they have these annual reports 10ks and quarterly reports 10qs now you want to you want to do your best to get through these but not the whole thing because it's all legalese and it's, it's ridiculous some, some of the things but what i love about it is that this is the best worst joke of the semester and it's better when there's a you know face to face but i say now what was the annual one and the students go 10k so what was the annual one 10k i say what was the quarterly one and they go 10q and i say you're welcome and that's they <laughs> start laughing because it's such a stupid joke and they go oh that was the worst joke of all the semester <laughs> yes yeah you had you kind of had to be there anyway so 
<laughs> it's a sickness i apologize so so it says thank you you're welcome thank you you're welcome okay good okay and now um this is our uh, this is our last slide when we come back we will then go through some of the wisdom that some of these people like peter lynch like benjamin graham like warren buffett have uh john templeton and then uh and be one last shot for me to to convince you that there's a future for you in this industry, that we need more minorities, bilingual, uh, women. We need more women. We need ex-military. So see you in our last presentation on stocks.